0: Father, this morning, we're reminded of the Apostle Paul who said, I've determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, would you open our eyes? We're living in troublous and tumultuous times. There's all kinds of things going on in the world around us and in our own families, our own hearts. And this morning, we need a word from you. We need to hear your voice this morning, and God, we're unworthy of that, but you're the one who comes to seek and to save that which is lost. You're the one who's given everything for us, and so we pray that you'd speak clearly to our hearts through your word that Jesus can be lifted up this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. This is a picture of David and Carrie and Amelia. They're a happy family in Australia. They live way down under. And this summer, it was July, when they decided it was June 4, I guess, is a holiday in Australia. And they decided that they were going to have a special holiday celebration. And so they went away to the beach. And here's a picture of Amelia. She's just a person that's full of life, that's full of joy. And so as they got to the house and they decided they were going to go down to the beach, she could hardly wait to get to the beach. In fact, she ran ahead of her parents and her mom began to call after her when everything went wrong. What do you do in your life when everything goes wrong, when you're headed in a direction, when you're looking forward to what looks like the promised land, what looks like you really need in your life, and then everything goes wrong? That's what the Israelites had to have been wondering in Numbers chapter 21. I want to invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. Here we pick up the story just after they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They had been promised that they were going to a land flowing with milk and honey, and yet on the verge of that, they had fallen short. They hadn't believed that God could see them into the land of promise And they'd had to circle around for 40 years in the wilderness. Chapter 22 of Numbers, uh, chapter uh, 20, and you find Aaron going up on Mount Hor and passing away. This is a tragic thing for the Israelites. They recognize that their leaders are dying and they haven't yet entered the promised land. And so here in Numbers chapter 21, we pick up the story and things are just getting worse. They were on the verge of the promised land. Once again, they were in Kadesh Barnea when they could have gone into the promised land. But at this point in time, they again complained about not having enough water. And that's when Moses Moses goes and he strikes the rock and Moses is told he can no longer enter the promised land at all. And they wonder, what's going to happen now as we read in verse 4? Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4, it says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor." By the way of the Red Sea, hang on just a second. What direction is the Red Sea in comparison to the promised land? It's south. It's the wrong direction. It's not where they're headed. It's not where the land flowing with milk and honey is. It's not where they want to be. They now have their backs turned to the promised land to go around the land of Edom. They'd just been rejected by the king of Edom. He said, you can't come through here. Even if you pay for your water and your, your food, you can't come through it. So they have this long circuitous route that they're going to have to take in order just to get back to the border of the promised land. Once again, they find themselves wandering. And at this point, it says, they go through the land of Eden and, and the soul of the people became, what does it say? Very discouraged on the way. And I want you to notice, what does it say became very discouraged? Does it say that their muscles became very tired as they were on the way? Their soul became very discouraged. As they're there in that hot desert, this sandy area with lots of rocks, very little vegetation, no water, no food, they become discouraged, not physically, even though they may be thirsty, even though they may be tired, but it's their soul that becomes discouraged. And oftentimes, this is what Satan is trying to do in your life and my life by throwing us all kinds of curveballs, by giving us all types of discouraging situations that you and I face. He wants to discourage your soul. He wants for you to lose hope. He wants for you to let go of God today. That's why we see all the craziness that's going on in the world today. He's hoping, just hoping, that you might let go of God. People became very discouraged on the way. And we continue in verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Fair complaint. Here they are headed the wrong direction. Moses obviously doesn't know what he's doing. God obviously doesn't know what he's doing. In fact, they just had some victories against the, the king uh, of Arad in the, the previous few verses. So, so maybe they should have just gone to the promised land. Maybe they could have had victories at this point. And what is God doing for them anyway? All that he has given them is this worthless bread. There's no real food. There's no water here. What has God done for them anyway? You know, if we begin to focus on the dark side of our experience, if we begin to focus on the problems in our life, we begin to wonder, has God really done anything for me? Is he really helping me out? Am I, am I really having any help from God here? Because I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I don't have enough strength. I feel like I'd, I'm just having to do this all on my own and that God isn't here for me right now. Like I'm just having to pull my own weight. God, what are you doing? And, and, and why do you have me here anyway? But check this out. If we look at a few verses that tell us a little bit more about the Israelites' experience, if we look at Psalm chapter 105 and verse 17, I'll just put it up here on the screen. Psalm 105 and verse 37 says this. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. What does this tell us that God had done for the Israelites in their exodus from Egypt? What's the first thing that it tells us? He had brought them out with silver and gold. Would you complain today if God gave you some silver and gold? Right, so they had come out of Egypt and they had been given silver and gold. So that's the first way that God had provided for them there in the wilderness. But what does it go on to say? There was none feeble among his tribes. We might say that he gave them strength and he gave them health. But this isn't all that the Bible goes on to tell us. If you go to Psalm 105 and verse 39, just two verses later, it says this. He spread a what over them? A cloud cloud for a covering. Have you ever been out on a hot Paso Robles day when it's 120 degrees out and you're just wishing that you could find some shade and if you could just be in the shade, there's a world of difference between the temperature in the sun and the temperature in the shade. Here they are. They're wandering through this sandy desert. It's miserable there, but they have this beautiful cloud that is constantly covering them. They constantly have shade day in and day out, and they don't even recognize it because they're so focused on the problems in their life. Friends, I often have a problem with this. I begin to focus on why is this going wrong? Why is that going wrong? And I forget that God is there covering me with his cloud. He's there providing for me day in and day out. So we see that they had shade by day, but not only that, what does it go on to say? And fire to give light in the night. They had a night light in the desert. How cool is that? They had this massive cloud representing God's presence that during the day, it gave them shade. And then at nighttime, it lit up the desert so that they didn't have to be afraid of the wild animals that were out there. God was there every moment of their lives in the wilderness. And he's with you every moment of your life in the wilderness. But sometimes we begin to focus on the problem. Sometimes we begin to focus on the child. Sometimes we begin to focus on all the difficulties around us and we forget and we begin to cry out to God, God, why are you leading me like this? He gave them shade by day. He gave them the light at night. He gave them health and strength. He gave them silver and gold. But Deuteronomy 29, Moses talking to the Israelites, uh, he's he's talking for God and he says this about what God has done for them. He says, And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Now this is pretty cool. You know, the other day, Leah and I were going through our house uh, because we're having twins, in case you didn't notice. And as we're going through our closet, we decided that we needed to get rid of stuff because two more human beings are entering our home. And so as we're going through trying to get rid of things, I begin to see T-shirts that are... What would you say? I mean, I do have the one... Okay, it's from 1998. Uh, But it's a mission trip that I went on to Bolivia in 1998. And it, it doesn't have any holes in it. It's a good shirt. And I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've had a shirt for 20 years. But these guys wore the same clothes day in and day out for 40 years without them wearing out. You know, there were some other clothes. I had this sweatshirt that was about the same age. Well, actually about 10 years less than that, but it had holes, it was ragged, and Leah said, look, this thing has got to go. Okay, you're right. I got to get rid of that. But the Israelites had indestructible clothes clothes not only that what does it go on to say and your sandals have not worn out on your feet how long have you worn a pair of shoes before one year two years three years maybe you've had a pair of shoes for 10 years how many of you have ever worn the same pair of shoes for 40 years walking through a desert I had to add the walking through the desert part because I saw a hand start to go up right they had indestructible clothes they had indestructible sandals God has been providing for them day in and day out in every possible way. And yet they're saying, God, why are you leading us like this? We just don't understand. We just don't appreciate what you're doing for us. Deuteronomy 29 says this also in verse 6. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink. And why is that? That you may know that I am the Lord your God. Do you see that in all of this, he had this beautiful purpose. Yes, they hadn't had wine to drink. Yes, they hadn't had bread to eat. Yes, they hadn't had their normal food like they had back in Egypt. But his whole purpose was that every morning they'd wake up and they could go and collect manna. And they could think about the God who cared about their breakfast. Who cared about their lunch. Who cared about their supper. They could cry out to God and he'd provide a river in the desert for them to drink from. This was the kind of God that they served. And and they were beginning to realize, yes, this world is a messed up place. It's a a barren desert with all kind of terrible things going on in it. But our God, he's a shelter in the midst of this. Our God, he's a nightlight. Our God, he gives us silver and gold. He he gives us indestructible clothes. We can trust our God. goes on in verse 15. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 15 says this, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. This is how incredible the God was that they were serving. They, They realized that he could bring them water straight out of a rock. Verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. All of his purposes for them in going through the wilderness was only to help them, was only to make their lives better, and he wanted to get them to the promised land faster, and yet time and time again, they weren't ready. They didn't really trust him. They didn't really believe that he was going to do what he had promised that he was going to do, and so he had to send them back for another loop. So we see he provides silver and gold, health and strength, shade by day, light at night, indestructible clothes, sandals, water, manna. And all of this so that they could know that he is God. But that's not it. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses reminds them time and time again throughout the book of Deuteronomy. This is one of the books that's quoted quite a bit by Jesus. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 4. It says, Your garments did not wear out, nor did your, what does it say? Foot swell these 40 years. I've heard John Dorn talk about being a vet in Vietnam. And the one thing that they would tell them is you got to make sure that your feet don't get wet. Because if your feet get wet, you're in big trouble. Not only do they have indestructible clothes, not only do they have indestructible sandals, but their feet are not swelling with all of that walking. They're not getting blisters. They're not getting worn out by all the wilderness wanderings. They have indestructible feet on top of having indestructible sandals. Deuteronomy 8.15, it just keeps getting better. If you read through the Bible, God is there constantly providing for his people. It says this, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were, what does it say? Fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was... No water. This implies that as you led them through the wilderness for those forty years, day in and day out, maybe that light, night light at night was keeping the wild beasts away. Maybe it was that 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 cloud by day that, that made it cold enough there that for some reason the snakes didn't come into their camp, that the scorpions didn't sting them in the middle of the night. Somehow God was protecting them from all of the wildness out there in the wilderness. But yet, whoa! Let's we'll see if we can get back going with that. That wasn't what we intended to do. Could we push play again? <laughs> Thank you. But in all of that, God was leading them through the midst of a terrible wilderness. Uh, God was giving them protection from serpents, serpents and scorpions. God was there, day in and day out, watching for His kids. Sometimes we wonder, is God really there for me? Does God really care what I'm going through? Does he really understand the difficulties that I'm facing? Does he even really care about what I'm facing? Isaiah, the prophet, writing a while later on in Isaiah chapter 63. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to join me there. Isaiah chapter 63. He writes about the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. And in a way, he summarizes all of these ways that God was providing, that God was there, that God was good to the Israelites. In Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9, he says this. Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. (laughs) Saying, God was feeling every ounce of, of heartache, every bit of discomfort, everything that they were going through in all their wilderness wanderings, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and bore them and carried them all the days of old. Day in and day out as they're going through the wilderness, it's God who's carrying them. It's God who's sustaining them. He's the one that gave them the silver and the gold. He's the one that gave them the indestructible clothes. He's the one that kept their feet from swelling, who kept them strong and healthy, who gave them water, who gave them manna. He was the God who was there for them. And yet, their focus was on all the trouble in the world, all the problems. Why are our backs Facing the Promised Land, and why do we have to keep eating this terrible, loathsome food called manna? We're here in this hot desert, and we're simply miserable. Verse five, we continue back in Numbers chapter twenty-one, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Do you see what this would do to the heart of God? Maybe you're a parent this morning and you've had a a child who's been totally ungrateful to you. You've raised them all the way until they're 18 and then when they turn 18 they suddenly forget all about you and act like you weren't there for them for the past 18 years of your life. If so, you know a little bit, a little tiny inkling but what the heart of God feels at this moment. Wanting them to realize, I'm the God who's been providing shade and light. I'm I'm there for you day in and day out. And all you can see is the difficulties that you have brought on yourself. So we continue in verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died you see when you when you realize the context when you realize that that God has been leading them that he's been protecting them and that he's been shielding them as they've gone through the desert he's been doing everything possible to protect them from every possible difficulty when you read this verse you realize that although the author is describing it as God inflicting this upon the Israelites that when God sent these serpents to them in reality what he's simply doing is lifting up his hand giving them a little less protection than he's been giving them for the last 40 years he's withdrawing his hand and suddenly into the camp come these fiery serpents can you imagine the horror i don't know about you and how you feel about snakes but this wasn't just one person getting bit by a snake here and there but it says that many of the people of Israel died. Can you imagine as there are shrieks of terror day in and day out as people are getting bit by these snakes and they're, they're realizing that, that they are in a terrible, loathsome wilderness that's full of all kind of terrible creatures. And what is their response to something like that? And what is our response when the world around us goes crazy, when everything hits the fan and it feels like the world is completely falling apart little amelia as she ran up to the stairs she ran down the stairs she was headed to the beach she didn't notice maybe because of the color of the stairs this brown stairs that that there was a brown snake on the stairs and as she's running down the stairs she got bit by a brown snake one of the most poisonous snakes in australia here's a picture of one of them suddenly there was a scream and her parents hear her screaming and they don't know what's happened and so they run to the stairs and then when they get there they look at her little foot and on the side of her little foot they see those dreaded marks of the fangs of the snake. The snake had bitten her twice on her feet and they knew that they only had minutes to get her to safety. They knew that the chance of her surviving was very slim. Here they are in a remote part of Australia. Here they are without antivenom. Here they are in a place where they can't provide what their little daughter needs. She has been bitten by a snake and they don't know what to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, talking about the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness, says this, "'Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents.'" nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Who's the one doing the destroying here? Who's the one doing and inflicting pain on the Israelites? Satan. It's the enemy. He's coming in. They're complaining and they are tempting God saying we don't want you to be our leader. We don't care that you've done all this for us. We don't want you anymore. We could do it better on our own. So Jesus says, okay, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to give you a little picture of what it's like without me being there for you. And He begins to slowly step back. He begins to allow them to have just a little taste of of what it's really like on this planet without His presence. Of the, the world of hurt that they would have been in for the past 40 years without His loving watch care day in. And day out. This goes on to say in verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as what? As what? Examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom? The end of the ages have come. This is relevant, Paul says, for you and I today. What happened for the Israelites as they were bitten by snakes in the wilderness has something that you and I need to understand. You and I who are up against the end of the ages. And everybody is beginning to realize as we look at the world and the craziness that is going on, this world is coming to a cataclysmic end. There is craziness happening on this planet. And in the midst of it, the question has to be, where are our eyes focused? Are our eyes focused on the problems? Are our eyes focused on the difficulties, the trials, the things that we feel God is inflicting on us? Or are our eyes fixed on our merciful and compassionate Redeemer who has been caring for us day in and day out? Who's been carrying us all the days of our lives? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 430 talking about what takes place next, says this, the lifting up of the brazen serpent was to teach Israel an important lesson. They could not save themselves from the fatal effect of the poison in their wounds. God alone was able to heal them. Once you've been bit by a snake, once you have that venom coursing through your veins, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Little Amelia, there was no hope for her. Except for that her mommy and daddy were there. And they were able to pick her up and to be able to grab her and to be able to run for all they were worth. Can you imagine the terror in their heart as they just want to save their little daughter? And they began to sprint towards the nurse's station. It took them 10 minutes to get their little daughter there. But after 10 long minutes, they finally got to the nurse's station and they realized when they got there that the timing was none too soon. At that moment, the nurses were changing their shifts. And if they had been there five minutes later, there wouldn't have been a nurse there. God is providing for you and I in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of what is going on on this planet. The question is, will we look to him? Or will we look to ourselves? First Corinthians 10 goes on to say, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The Israelites there in the wilderness felt like they had what it took. They said, Moses, we don't need him. We don't need God. We can do this ourselves. We just beat the king of Arad. Let's go ahead and go into the promised land ourselves or let's go back to Egypt. And God gave him a little taste of what it was like without his leadership. And friends, I'm afraid that that's what's going on in the world today. Maybe you've been watching the headlines and you've seen what's been taking place. It's heart-wrenching to see the cataclysmic events that are happening on our planet. You think about waking up early on a a morning this past week and to suddenly look outside and maybe you've read some of the stories of people that looked outside and saw the the fire barreling down on their homes. Maybe you've read stories about nurses who were at work taking care of their patients, doing everything possible to save lives when suddenly they look out the window and they realize that their day just got a whole lot more difficult. As They began to evacuate patient after patient out of the hospital friends this world is falling apart at the seams and as we look at these things the temptation is to say god why would you do this to us god why are you leading us this way why why are these things happening to us but the story of the israelites teaches us that this is the wrong question to ask the question is not why god the question is jesus will i trust you in the midst of the storm will i Look to you when everything goes wrong. We've seen the heartache this past week of Cody Kaufman's dad. A dad who lost his son in the shooting in the Thousand Oaks bar. I don't know if you watched. Uh, somebody posted it on my Twitter feed. And he was just there saying, heart-wrenching grief in his eyes, weeping, weeping. Saying, my life is never going to be the same. My little daughter who's about to be born will not have an older brother. This world is not fair. Friends, this world is falling apart. And it's not because of God. But it's because of us. And the choices that we are making... God is simply beginning to draw back his hand. We're saying, God, why have you led us this way? Who are you? We don't want you. And little by little, as he withdraws his hand, chaos ensues on this planet. And what we need more than anything else in this time is exactly what the Israelites needed when they had poisonous venom in their veins. Exactly what Amelia needed when she had poisonous venom in veins. In her veins, Deuteronomy, or Numbers chapter 21, continuing in verse 7, it says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They recognize where the problem lies. Sometimes it takes trials. Sometimes it takes really difficult times. Sometimes it takes the world falling apart a little bit. For us to realize how incredibly good Jesus is, to realize He is our loving Father. He does care for us. He does want what's best for our lives. Thankfully, in that moment, the Israelites remembered to go back to Moses and to ask Him to pray to their God for them. And Moses, although they had constantly been complaining, although they had constantly been uh, Causing his life so much havoc, verse 7 continues, so Moses prayed for the people. And that's the heart of God for you and I. The moment that we turn back to him in our 40 days of prayer this past week, we looked at the thief on the cross who had been insulting Jesus, but all it took was him turning to Jesus and saying, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus instantly said, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. John 6, 37 says that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus is just waiting for us to turn to him. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties, if we will only turn to Jesus. God taught them this lesson there in the wilderness. In verse 8, it continues. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. And set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Can you imagine what that was like for Moses? As he he goes and he runs and he gets some raw metal materials, or maybe he had to 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 melt down one of his pots or something. And he gets this bronze and copper and he gets it and he, he takes it through the fire and he he makes this quick mold. It probably wasn't very pretty. People are dying in the camp. People have poison coursing through their veins. He knows that he has a limited amount of time to provide this solution. And as he's there, he pours maybe the metal inside of that mold, and then he drops it in water so that it quickly cools, and he takes that probably rough-looking bronze serpent, he puts it on a pole, and he sets it there in the camp. And in that moment, each and every person in that camp had a choice to make. Will I believe that, that this is really as good as God says it is? Will I believe that His remedy is enough for me today? I have poison coursing through my veins and it makes a whole lot more sense that He might tell me to, to run out and find a plant to rub on my, my wounds. Or that, but, but to just sit here and look, how is that going to change anything for me? But the promise of God was, those who look will live. Those who look at the remedy will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He put it on a pole. So it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. And Jesus points Nicodemus to this story in John chapter 3. It's in that night interview when they're there talking about what is the kingdom of God like. And here this guy who has grown up knowing the Scriptures. He probably has the five books of Moses memorized. But Jesus is teaching him, you need to trust God a whole lot more than you do. And friends, I think that's the example of the fiery serpents for you and I in the end of times. We need to trust a loving Savior a whole lot more than we we do or that we ever have. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now this is really a crazy metaphor if you think about it. Here you have Jesus, god on earth, The Son of Man is a divine, messianic figure. And here he is saying that I need to become like that serpent on a pole. And somehow, in looking to the cross, in looking to the Son of Man lifted up, you and I will have life. You and I have been bit by a serpent in our lives. Every single one of us is experiencing the venom, selfishness, and sin that has come from the enemy. And God wants to give us deliverance from that. He wants to give us victory. And that victory comes, Jesus says, by looking to the Son of Man. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As they carried... Amelia to the nurse's station, they got her there, and they began to immediately put bandages on, because there's something with, you have to get compression on, on a, a wound like that. It reminds me again of Isaiah 63 and verse 9, In all their afflictions he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Just like Amelia's parents grabbed her and carried her and rushed her to the nurse's station, God has been carrying you through every one of your days. Whether you know it or not, in Him, you live and move and breathe and have your being. If you want to know what it's like without God holding you, then you just have to look to the cross and look to what Jesus went through there because that is a revelation to us of what it's really like to be separated from God. Education, page 263, says this, The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from the very inception, sin has brought to the heart of God. That's what the cross reveals to us. It reveals how painful sin is as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It reveals what sin really does. The reason we don't experience that angst every single day of our lives is because he's borne our afflictions for us. Just like for the Israelites as they're there in the wilderness, the reason that they weren't struck by serpents day in and day out was because God was protecting them from it, but they didn't even realize it. There was a bigger picture in their lives, and yet they weren't really appreciating it. Do I appreciate what Jesus has done for me on the cross, the life that he continues to give me day in and day out? Do I look to the cross so that I can live? As Amelia was there, within two minutes of having gotten to the nurse's station, they're trying to, to wrap her up, and they're trying to, to get her uh, calmed down because it's important that she didn't move. Suddenly, she stopped breathing. She had begun to cl- complain of a headache, and, and her parents had tried to tell the nurses, well, maybe she isn't really poisoned. And they said, no, we're in Australia. She probably was bitten by a poisonous snake. And suddenly, she stops breathing. So the nurses immediately begin to, to, to do CPR on her, and they tell the mom and dad, "Call the number there in Australia to call is 000, 000. So they call 000, and on the, the recording of it, you can hear, as the mom is saying, is she breathing? Is she breathing? You can hear the trauma, the traumatic experience that they're going through as this venom is coursing through the veins of their daughter. It took an entire team of people working together to attempt to save this little tiny girl. And friends, Jesus is doing everything possible to save you and I from the midst of a world of hurt. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 helps us to understand a little bit this whole picture of why Moses was to lift up a serpent there in the wilderness. I mean, why not lift up a, a, a figure that looked beautiful But why put the actual picture up on a pole for them to look at? I mean, who wants to look at what has just inflicted you with so much pain? Why put a serpent there on that pole? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus actually came and he took all of the curse, all of what we deserve as a planet, and he took it into himself on the cross so that you and I don't have to experience that. He goes on to say that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is a solution. There is a solution. A remedy and thankfully as amelia began to wake up they actually she started breathing again with a cpr and so they realized what they needed to do was to keep her as still as possible so they they put her they strapped her down as you can see there in this picture and they began to give her medications that would sedate her the nurses were on video conference with doctors who were trying to help them to figure out how they could possibly keep her alive because the problem was There was no anti-venom there in that area. But the royal doctor's uh, service was flying venom three and a half hours to get there. And they needed to keep little Amelia alive for three and a half hours more. She had just passed out for, they said, about two minutes she wasn't breathing. And now they've got to keep her alive for three and a half hours while they wait for a doctor to come with antivenom. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says this Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Do you know how antivenom is made? This is fascinating to me a guy back in the 1800s he was a, a france scientist he'd studied under pasteur and he decided that he wanted to put an end to people dying of snake bites in india and so he began to experiment to figure out how he might possibly be able to develop an antivenom. and you know what they do they take venom from a serpent and they inject it into an animal and I'll read you basically the definition here from Wikipedia so I get it right. It says, Antivenom is made by collecting venom from the relevant animal and injecting small amounts into a domestic animal. He used horses. So basically he would take the venom from the snake, he would inject it into horses and the antibodies that form are then collected from the domestic animal's blood and purified. So they... they They inject it into a willing animal, a domestic animal, and then they take that blood and the antibodies and things that it creates in order to be able to create an antivenom. Friends, this is what it's telling us about Jesus, except for it was far more horrific for Jesus. Those animals, they get a little dose of the venom. And they, they go on living. It's not a very pleasant experience for them, I'm sure, but they just have their blood taken and lives are saved. It, it goes on to tell about how um, he actually developed the serum and a, guy was bit, a kid was bitten by a cobra. And the first one was saved. Two men grabbed him and ran with him and they tried it out for the very first time. And they were, the medical journals record It's an amazing thing to read as they're saying, well, we're pretty sure that this is the first case of somebody being saved by antivenom. But it takes somebody who isn't infected being injected with the venom. And their blood developing a defense mechanism that is able to be withdrawn and to be able to be put into the one that is suffering. Friends, that's what Jesus has done for you and I. That's why the blood of Jesus is so valuable for you and I. Because He took the full extent of the venom into Himself. That promise in Genesis 3 that he would be bruised on the heel, that means that the venom coursed throughout Jesus' veins. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy them, him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Patriarchs and Prophets tells us this in page 431. When we trust God fully when we rely upon the merits of Jesus as a sin-pardoning Savior, we will receive all the help that we can desire. Let none look to self as though they had power to save themselves. That's what we learn, that it takes a source outside of ourselves. It took Moses lifting up the bronze serpent so that they could look and they could live. Little Amelia could not possibly save herself. She couldn't even get herself to where the antivenom is. Jesus died for us because we were helpless to do this. In him is our hope, our justification, our righteousness. We simply need to look to Jesus today and every day. It goes on to say, When we see our sinfulness, we should not despond and fear that we have no Savior or that he has no thoughts of mercy toward us. At this very time, he is inviting us to come to him in our helplessness and be saved. Jesus simply wants you to look and live today. He wants you to know that there is a remedy, that he has taken the venom into himself, that he has gladly taken your sin for you so that you could have his righteousness today. I'm happy to tell you that three and a half hours later, Amelia was still kicking. And they got there and they were able to inject that serum into that four-year-old little body. And it wasn't long In fact, she only spent one night in a hospital after that. And now they have videos of her jumping on a trampoline. She's fully back to normal because she had a solution. There was an antivenom that was provided for her. And friends, you and I, whether we realize it or not, have been bitten by a serpent, and we need the antivenom. The question is, will we look and live? Will we fix our eyes on the one who's given everything for us? On the one who was willing to take the bite for us? The one who was willing to suffer the agony for us? Because he couldn't stand the thought of us living, dying a horrible death apart from him. He wanted for you and I to live, look and live. That's what we need to do in these troublous times when the the world is burning down around us, when we can't cling to the stuff that we have. We need to look to Jesus because He will see us through. You can trust Him, friends. You can trust the One who gave His life for you. I just want to invite you to make it a practice. Not just because we're going through a 40 days of prayer book but to daily ask God, would you help me to look and live? Would you help me to to see you more clearly today? Would you help me to see something new and more beautiful about you today, about your love today than I've ever seen before so that your life can course through my veins? If it's your desire to make a commitment to every day asking God to show him more of his beauty, to show you more of how loving he is toward you. If if you really want that for your own life, I just want to invite you to raise your hand as I pray. Father, we raise our hands and we just want to say we want to look and live. Thank you that you have provided so much for us. Just like the Israelites who you had provided all along for them, Father, forgive me because so often I forget about all the good things that you've done for me and I focus on the trials in my life. Lord, help us to look to Jesus and live. Help us to recognize in the cross the revelation of the pain and suffering that sin causes and help us to turn away from our sin as we look to you who alone can give life. Father, We pray that you give us victory over the little things in our life, the way that the serpent continues to steal and kill and destroy in our lives. We pray that you would, day by day, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, that you would give us brand new life, that you give us brand new hope, that we would live a faithful life through the strength of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.